pastors and church planners around the world need your help to receive a confessional Reformed Baptist theological education. Introducing the William Carey Scholarship Fund at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. You can help students like Sam in India afford seminary training and Bible software with thousands of critically needed theological books. To learn how you can help, visit cbtseminary.org slash carry. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Jimmy Johnson here with Austin McCormick. We are going to be discussing a theology of missions from the Tanakh. So, Austin, Austin, awesome. Austin, welcome to the podcast. Awesome Austin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here as always. Um, So you wrote a paper. It's a good paper, and, and it's discussing the subject that I, I mentioned, missions from the Tanakh. So to start us off, can you just give us a definition of missions? Yeah, due to the numerous usages of the term missions, um, many people have different ideas about what missions are. So, for example, some view missions as every good thing that a Christian might do. Others might only view missions as Jesus's great commission command. But as Steve Nail has written concerning the numerous usages of the word mission, if everything is mission, then nothing is mission. The terminology or the term missiology includes the Latin missio, referring to the missio dei, the mission of God. And missio dei can be described as God's will to bring reconciliation and salvation to the world in Jesus Christ. So that's that's what I'm going with for defining missions. And also we're we're talking about missions as it's taught in the Tanakh. So for those who may have not heard that terminology or for those of us who have, what what do you mean when you say the Tanakh? Yeah, the Tanakh consists of the Hebrew and Aramaic scriptures that Jews and Christians regard as the word of God. Tanakh is an acronym that reflects the traditional threefold division into Torah, the law or Pentateuch, Nevi'im, the prophets, and the Ketuvim, the writings. Um, so the Tanakh consists of 24 books. Uh, these are the same 39 canonical books that most Protestant Christians regard as canonical. Um, a reason why there is a different numbering is um, in, the, in the Tanakh, Samuel is one book, whereas in our English Bibles, we have 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, that's an example of why there's different numberings. It's the same content, the same books. But regarding uh, the canonical order of the Tanakh, Stephen Dempster writes, the Tanakh is not a random concantation of texts, but a text with a discernible structure, a clear beginning, a middle, and an ending. Genesis and Chronicles are the beginning and ending. And the middle is carried with a narrative storyline into which many and various poems, much legislation, lists, 
building instructions, tribal boundary records, reports of visions and prophecies, and many small stories have been appropriately placed. So there is much that happens in the Tanakh. We're going to be looking at the theme of God's intention to save the nations from um, the Hebrew canonical scriptures, the law, the prophets, and the writings. So let's just start in with the same division that you have just expounded and explained for us. Where do we see God's desire and and purpose to save the nations in the law? One of the first places we find the formation of nations in the Tanakh is in the 10th chapter of Genesis. Uh, Here we are given details about the descendants of Noah and the origins of different nations. Multiple times we read about people being spread according to their nation in Genesis chapter 10, verse 5, verse 20, and then verses 31 and 32. And then later in the account at Babel in the next chapter, God then disperses the people of the earth because they attempted to build a name in a city for themselves. Uh, They desired reputation or this desired reputation of building a name for themselves Uh, included a plan to build a tower that reached all the way up to heaven. If you're familiar with the story, I'm sure you are. God not only dispersed the peoples for this, he also divided their languages so they wouldn't understand one another, as we see in verse 7 of chapter 11. So we, we begin to see the formation of nations there. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the Abrahamic covenant is revealed. In Abram's calling out of this country, God focused particularly on one man, one person, in order that he would bless all the families of the earth through him. Uh, later, God reaffirms this promise after Abram's faith in Genesis, uh, the testing of his faith in Genesis chapter 22. You remember the story God commanded Abraham to offer his only son, Isaac, as a burnt offering. Abram faithfully obeyed God, and he reiterated the promise that the nations of the earth were going to be blessed through him. So after Abram was proven to be obedient, God said to him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. And then though this promise was initially given to Abraham, it's later given to Isaac in chapter 26, and then to Jacob in chapter 28, at each stage of ever-increasing particularity, God restated his global intention to bless all the families and nations of the earth. And then near the end of Genesis, uh, Jacob blesses his son Judah when he writes the scepter, or when the scripture says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribe or tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of all peoples. So we see this promise of the blessing of the nations going from Abram to Isaac, to Jacob, then to Judah. Um, So, so that's some places that we see in the book of Genesis. We could skip to the book of Exodus In Exodus. God delivers his people out of Egyptian bondage. And whenever God liberates the Israelites from slavery, other nations escape with Israel and are brought into their nation. Um, Exodus chapter 12 says, 
And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And then in chapter 22, or I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Um, later in Exodus, God gives laws to Israel concerning the reception of foreigners from other nations. So in chapter 22, he says, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So we see peoples from other nations being included in God's intention to save. So that's from Exodus. Uh, In Deuteronomy, God makes himself known to the nations by giving Israel commandments to keep. He says, keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as this law that I set before you today? So whenever other nations looked at Israel, they would see laws which came immediately from God himself. They would see knowledge of divine things, and they would see spiritual blessings and privileges that Israel was favored with. So the law itself uh, was going out to the nations as they looked at the law being given to Israel. So those are some places where we see either clear allusions to God's inclusion of the nations or implicit seeds of what he would later do in redemptive history. Yeah, let's let's go and dive in to the prophets. I mean, I think you've provided adequate evidence from the law. Where where do we see God's desire and purpose to save the nations and the prophets? We could start with the book of Isaiah since it's uh, one of the larger books of the prophets and we see the terminology, all the nations scattered throughout it. In many places, Isaiah reiterates God's redemptive plan for the nations. In chapter 11, Isaiah looked forward to when the Messiah would arrive. Uh, He prophesied, On that day the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. The root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples. And of him the nations shall inquire. So there's one place we see. In chapter 12, Isaiah prophesies concerning concerning the praise that will be given to God when the Messiah arrives. Um, This praise that is given is make known his deeds among the peoples. Uh, The first servant song, Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9 says, The servant will bring forth justice to the nations and calls him a light for the nations. Later, The global command for all the people to turn to the earth is seen in these words. Perhaps you've heard from Charles Spurgeon's uh, testimony of salvation. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. 
Then lastly, from Isaiah, the prophet looked to a time when the kings of the earth would come to Israel and be blessed by Yahweh. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3 says, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So that's Isaiah. Um, we can look next at Amos. At the beginning of Amos, we read or we read about God's judgment upon the nations surrounding Israel, chapter one, all the way down to chapter two, verse three. God's judgment upon these nations shows his power, his authority, and his reign beyond Israel. Although this book begins with judgment upon the nations, it ends with a vision of restoration for Israel that includes other nations. So in chapter 9, verses 11 through 12, Amos reads, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruin and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. So we see God's intention to... um, bring his presence to the nations in the book of Amos. Matthew Poole writes about God's intentions to save the Gentiles from these verses. He says that this is a prophecy of setting up the kingdom of the Messiah and bringing in the Gentiles is very certain. So we've seen Amos, but perhaps the clearest picture of God's heart for the nations through the prophets is in the book of Jonah. Jonah didn't want to obey the task of God sending him out because he knew that God's mission of reaching these people would succeed. It would be accomplished. Jonah sought to flee the presence of the Lord, reflecting the common idea of his day that gods, little g gods, were restricted to a given location. And although Jonah initially resisted God's instruction, God used a Hebrew prophet to go and preach to the Assyrian people of Nineveh so that they would turn from their sins. So we see God's intention to bring um, the message of repentance to the Assyrian people in the Old Testament. Micah envisioned a time when the nations of the earth would come to the one true God of Israel. Um, Chapter four, verses one through two reads, it shall come to pass. In the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Um, Calvin and Augustine comment on this passage, signifying um, how all the nations come together to gather towards Christ and how this is prophesied. But we see very clearly that Micah envisioned a time where the nations would be gathered together. Um, Habakkuk prophesied that God would be made known globally. Chapter two, verse 14 says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, Zephaniah uh, spoke in Zephaniah chapter three, verse nine, for at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech 
that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. So although God previously divided the speech among the peoples at Babel, as we considered under the heading of the law, the prophet Zephaniah looked to a time that God would unite the speech of the peoples in purity towards Yahweh. Haggai prophesied uh, in chapter 2, verse 7, And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with the glory, with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Um, Zechariah foresaw the nations coming to Yahweh in chapter 8, verse 22. Uh, the Bible says, Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. And then before we move on to the writings, Zechariah also envisioned the Messiah's arrival, which would bring peace to the nations. Uh, This verse perhaps is probably more known to our listeners. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the foil of a donkey, and I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war host from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. So Zechariah envisioned peace coming to the nations upon the arrival of the one that would come mounted on a donkey. Of course, we would know that that is Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's wrap up, begin to wrap up this discussion on God's desire and purpose to save a people out of every nation, tongue, and tribe with talking about where we see this in the writing. So can you go ahead and explain that for us? Yeah, we'll start with the Psalms. Uh, The Psalms are full of God's redemptive plan for the nations. Chapter 2 begins with the question, why do the nations rage? And a few verses later, we see God's intention to set his son on Zion to reign over the nations. uh, Verses 6 through 8 reads, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. So that's one example from the Psalter. Chapter 22 looks to a time when the nations of the earth would look to the suffering Messiah. Uh, Verses 27 through 28 reads, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Skip to chapter 46. Chapter 46 contains the promise that the Lord will be exalted among the nations in verse 10. Uh, Later in the book of Psalms, the theme of commanded worship is repeated in multiple Psalms. Um, It's uh, commanded worship to all the people is found In chapter 47, when the Bible says in verse 1, clap your hands, all peoples, 
all peoples, of course, signifying nations. Chapter 57 describes the faithful worshiper giving praise to the Lord, as it says, among the peoples and among the nations. Chapter 67 repeats the theme of the Lord being worshiped by all nations and all peoples again. Later, David writes in uh, chapter 86, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Chapter 96 repeats the obligation required of all people to worship Yahweh. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Chapter 96, verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And then just skipping down to chapter 100, verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And then chapter 117, verse 1, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. So the book of Psalms is filled with the theme of praise commanded to all the nations. Um, The book of Ruth, um, falls under the writing section in the Hebrew canonical Bible. And it tells of a Moabite woman who followed her Israelite mother-in-law in faith. Um, whenever abandoning her culture and the false gods of it, she declared to Naomi, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Her decision to return with Naomi is a choice to commit herself, not just to Naomi, but to the God and the people to whom Naomi herself is returning. Ruth's redemption reveals God's plan to save people from the nations in the Old Testament, clearly a Moabite being redeemed. And then lastly, um, this is another book that uh, English Bible readers might not know, falls under the writings in the Hebrew canonical uh, Bible. We regard it as prophetic, but Daniel, the book of Daniel, foresaw that the Son of Man would come and bring the nations under his reign. Chapter 7, verse 13 says, And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And uh, before I finish the writings, Augustine, I think, rightly identifies that the Son of Man uh, is Jesus from this passage when he writes, Behold the Father giving and the Son receiving an eternal kingdom, and both are in the sight of him who prophesies in a visible form. So that is uh, God's desire to save the nations from the writings. So we've looked at the Tanakh, and we've witnessed, as Austin has shown us, that God has purposed not as a backup plan, but from the beginning to save a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, 
such a interpretation of the Tanakh, I, I believe, is is very much confirmed by Jesus in the Gospels and the Gospel writers themselves, as well as Paul, especially in his epistles. And, and we even see it to begin um, in a more full and overt way, begin to be fulfilled in the book of Acts as the Spirit of God falls upon Jew, Gentile, and all peoples as it begins to work itself out. Many of the letters that we have that Paul wrote were actually written to churches that were at the very least a mixture of Jew and Gentile, some likely predominantly Gentile. So God has purposed to save a people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, and he has always purposed to do that in the Son of Man that we just spoke of in Daniel seven fourteen. Indeed, it is the Son of Man that Jesus likes to refer to. That is his favorite title to refer to himself. And he went, I just preached this past week when he said that he gave, he came to not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We can be confident that within that many, there is a people of every nation, tongue, and tribe. And on this basis, our, our Baptist forefathers, who many whom we have discussed on this podcast, um, went confidently to what they called the heathen and preached the gospel, knowing that God had a people. They had read the book of Revelation. They had read the Tanakh. They had read what Jesus himself said. Indeed, the entire Bible confirms all that Austin has said. Um, and, and Austin's exposition just goes to show that unlike what some would say, that God has different ways and, and purposes in saving different types of people. He has one way for the Jews and one way for the Gentiles. We, we see even in the Tanakh that God has purpose to save a people in and through the person and work of his son incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that salvation is applied in the person and power of the Holy Spirit. So thank you, Austin, for that exposition. And I encourage, oh, go ahead, Austin. I just wanted to say one more thing. Of course, when we hear the word all nations, um, we think of Jesus's words in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think these words make much more sense to us whenever we understand that God's plan has always been to reach all the nations of the earth. Indeed, it, it, it is. I mean, I imagine Jesus giving that great commission and, and much authority in heaven and on earth. He is the risen and reigning king. Who, who died and rose and will never die again, and his kingdom is going forward, is growing and expanding. His sheep are hearing his voice and responding, and Jesus reigns. And we go out to preach the gospel to the lost in whatever context God has placed us in, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that God has a people who he will most definitely save. So you have been listening to an exposition and 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 really a a biblical theology 
particularly focusing in on the Tanakh as it relates to God's purpose and plan to save a people from the nations or missions from the Tanakh. And I thank you for listening to us. And Austin, thank you for giving us such a a detailed exposition of that subject. And to our listeners, we, we implore you to study the Word of God, to check what Austin has said here, to be Bereans, and we wish you grace and peace. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.